Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is Mr. John Morris with the sponsors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. This episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by Troutlander Nats. Exploration through innovation, lid rig, use your head, snip different, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Morris Fly Co., and Maxon Outfitters, made by anglers for people that fish. All right. Well, make sure that you check out all of those wonderful sponsors like we always do the pitch because they are good dudes and we would not tell you about them if they weren't good dudes. So tonight's very special guest, not to rip off Mr. David Letterman, is our good friend Mark Burns of Urban Fly Co. And we wanted to introduce him. We have him here on the podcast tonight and we're super excited because this is going to be a lot of fun for us to chat it up with Mark. So uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, looking forward to it as well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, dude. Now, John and I have got to chat quite a bit lately, so it'll be good to go over a few things and oh, talk yeah, about absolutely. some musky and some muskies and predator fish. Dude, that's 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 the goal. If we can stay, uh, if we can stay on track. Yeah, I'll hit one, one direction here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll last for five minutes but <laughs> we'll roll with it while it does nice Mark. so predator predator uh, uh you know musky and predator fishing and and conservation it's not something that you hear a lot of people talk about and that was something that kind of intrigued me when when john brought you up and uh you know what, what what's kind of your tie-in there with all of that Well, I think a lot of that majority of what you hear is Wisconsin and a lot of the, I guess, overall conservation side of things. And it started to stem down into our area a little bit and down through other states in the muskie wise. But I guess it seems like just you have so many different manners of fishing involved through all kinds of different times. And I think some of the things that like John had touched on before it's kind of hard to pinpoint like that question without rambling and going on to 9 million different avenues. <laughs> so <laughs> we, I think we could kind of pinpoint it down a little bit, would be probably a little bit better, but we can definitely ramble on that for quite a while. Um, my tie in overall is in the industry is I've had Urban Fly Company now for oh, four years next month. So it's going quick and I do guide as well. So I, I, essentially musky, pike, striper, smallmouth, you know, different types of flies there. But um, through that guiding, I guess, like I said, which John and I spoke on the conservation side of things is just our, our waterways and protecting what we have. These are fish that live for 10, 12 years. And it can take a couple, you know, 15, 20 seconds of mishandling to take that away. 
and you can't replace them overnight. These are fish that, you know, when they're stocked, you got short lifespan at the beginning. So when you get them there, you really got to take advantage of what you have. And mishandlings and mistiming, like I said, it's a short 15, 20 second period of time. It can all be that, you know, you got to take eight years to reproduce, you know, replace what you had there. I mean, that's, I mean, that's it, dude. <laughs> and it's just, it's so bizarre that, I mean, I guess it depends on what culture that you grew up in. And, you, you know, you, you you can't necessarily like win all the hearts and minds. And uh, I'm not going to sit back here and be like, oh, don't treat fish like that. Because it's, I mean, you legally, you're allowed to do what you do, you know, like within the, the realm of the law. But that doesn't mean you have to be an asshole, you know. <laughs> well, and that's kind of like where I started there before I got completely off track with saying there's so many different avenues is a lot of it comes down to is education and a lot of people just don't understand and a lot of these people I'm talking about are ones that typically are you know your bank fishermen and are out there fishing with bobbers or fishing with gear and just chucking away and just run into one on accident so they're not properly you know they don't they're not properly informed on going into what situation really entails they don't have the tools that they need. They don't have a big enough net. They're not looking for a fish of that size. So a lot of these times, them fish are drug up onto the side of the bank. They're rolling all around. And I know, John, you had mentioned something before about like gill, gill breaking fish and, and of that nature. And that's something there that's extremely detrimental when you're pulling a fish up onto the side of the bank in the dirt. It's rolling around. You're getting all that debris particles up into there. And a lot of times, too, these fish are being caught on gear that just isn't sufficient enough to fight them. So they're out there fighting them. You know, I caught this big fish. It took me 40 minutes to get in, which, you know, it's, that's awesome. You did get the opportunity to catch it, but a fish like that can't sustain 40 minutes of being caught. And I think one of the biggest issues you have with this is the same people aren't willing to take education. You know, you see a lot of people when they're trying to, and you do, don't get me wrong. You do have the, you know, the police out there that, Every single social media post that's out there, you got someone jumping down person's throat. You're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, to the point where it's, you don't even look at half the pages anymore because it does, it just gets ridiculous. Whether that pushed it over the edge, I'm sure had a lot to do with it. But a lot of them same people won't kind of take the advice and take, you know, here's what you got to do. So it's a double-edged sword. How do you fix that end of things? And that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, I think uh, when when you get into that whole fish handling thing, you know, um, it, it's a generational type thing. <clears throat> when when a lot of us are growing up, we we've grown up seeing the pictures of somebody holding a fish up by their gills. Well, the reason why they're holding it up by their gills is because they were killing it and taking it. You know that mm -hmm. that was the big thing. Now we have, I, I believe that in angling today you have more catch and release happening rather than catch and keep in a lot of aspects, but also regulations have changed to, you know, mandate slot limits on certain fish and things like that. And so knowing how to handle the fish to get it back in and reviving it and everything else, that's becoming really critical. And I'm seeing more of like the departments of fish and wildlife or fish and wildlife and parks are starting to put out a little bit more information on that. But yeah, social media has done a lot of damage because there's something inherent in the psychology of people when when you have somebody that not only 
has no ability to articulate either in literate terms such as writing or in verbal terms such as speaking uh technically or, or, or typically uh you're you're getting somebody that cannot articulate in a meaningful way basically it's like you didn't handle that fish right you know you're you're killing that fish you as you know you son of a bitch all this other stuff and it's like well as soon as you do that that person's going to say well this guy's just a pompous asshole and they're not going to listen to any yeah. of it it's too emotional you you have to be more methodical we go right back on the defense yeah exactly yeah 100 and you know like i don't know I, I find myself more and more just being like that grumpy old man that's like uh, i know it sounds so stupid but it's like man i probably shouldn't shouldn't hold that fish like that you know i don't i don't say that stuff very often like to people because it's really none of my business it's your picture it's all your stuff but like i, I like hands in the gills kills me dude like <laughs> like you're holding that fish up and then like five seconds later you you're seeing them release it and it's dude dude there's better ways to do that that there's well you know, when held when held properly, there is like under the jawline, like a little handlebar there. So mm -hmm. you grab onto that. I mean, now if you got your hands up in your gills, oh good, you're gonna lose some. You're gonna definitely lose some meat off your fingers because that gill plates are razor sharp. But yeah, I mean, as long as you're up underneath that jawline. Yeah, and I, I think that's this. It's that I think that's commonly misconstrued. Mis mm -hmm. with the gills because and you know it looks uh, very similar in a lot of ways you know just from uh the photo aspect of it without actually being oh. educated about it and you know going back to the whole how do we hold you know how do we enforce that without being like dickheads is like um my buddy said just hold yourself accountable you know, he's like, if you see someone doing something like this completely outlandish, you know, like offer, offer up some mentorship. Don't be an asshole, you know, present yourself and like, hey, dude, I'm trying to be your friend. And like, maybe we should not do that. And uh, he's like, just, you know, hold yourself accountable. You know, like you see a dude fishing in a catch and release only area with like spinners and stuff. Be like, hey, dude. We're not supposed to do that here. Just let you know. I don't care. Do what you want to do. I'm just letting you know. Like, don't let a game warden see it because he'll take your truck and your boat and your house and then your wife. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just like, but I don't know, man. It's a, it's a slippery slope, but it's, it's concert. We have to have this conservation now more than ever, I've, honestly, because our waterways are not getting better. <laughs> No, and like I started off there before I got rambled on many directions, like the Wisconsin thing, they've, you know, always had a 50 inch plus size limit. So, I mean, if you're putting, you know, a lot of these, you know, almost every state involved, except for a couple, I mean, a majority of the money in their stocking programs is muskie. They spend more muskie on, you know, more money on raising muskie than anything. But yet, I mean, Pennsylvania, you know, a lot of, or I, mean, I don't even know exactly what our, I think it's a 32 inch size limit. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're not giving them a chance to get to that upper size, I mean, you're cutting yourself short there already. Like you said, no, I mean, a lot more is catch and release. There is still fish being caught, though. I mean, the same people out there fishing with bait are out there to catch fish and keep fish. And that's fine. You're legally allowed to keep it at 32. Go ahead, keep it at 32. But if you're putting that much into it, don't you want to you know, do something to protect that fish as long as it possibly can? You know, and other states have adopted that. And you see a lot of the signs out there. And then you see a lot of signs out there, too, stating, you know, the difference between the fish and showing, you know, this is a muskie. And now that was up um, Niagara River. They've got signs up through there. I see Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. So you see a lot of the states with the bigger muskie. They have signs and literature on the streams, on the rivers, at the boat launches, educating and doing the best they can. Is it a coincidence that they're consistently getting the best fish, that they're getting the bigger fish? Probably not. They're doing, you know, what they can to make sure that, that fish can survive and get to that size limit. So, I mean, if you want to develop a fishery of big fish and, you know, make a lasting future generations for it, do the best you can to make the mature fish stay mature and they get a chance to be mature and do what they're supposed to do. Even if you can't, you know, they don't naturally reproduce on our end. Even if they're not going to do that, they're still going to, you know, get to the size that they're supposed to and become a mature fish. I yeah, that's a lot, a lot to be said about that, too. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, that, that whole thing of like, let them go, let them grow. You know, that's one of the big things is that that's where that kind of comes into play. And, uh, you know, that that has a lot to do with, um, you know, trying to conserve the species, but also putting the healthiest fish in to the, the system and, and keeping those healthy fish. They, they play a vital role in the ecosystem, uh, you know, a 50 inch muskie, they can keep a small mouth bass population in check pretty good because they will eat that, you know, that's, that's definitely within their size range as opposed to a 24 inch muskie. Well, that's going to be a little bit more than what they can take on, but um, you know, just predators in general. Uh, I, I remember hearing somewhere Back in the day, the only way that they could establish records on muskie were to kill them. And this was happening in Wisconsin and, and some of those states. So these guys, they'd be out there fishing, they'd catch one and they'd keep a pistol in their tackle box and they'd shoot it and take it into the bar and like, hey, I got this one today. You know, that that kind of that that was the the forefront of where we ended up today, where now we have to have stocking programs on that fish. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then stocking programs are doing it i mean in my opinion from what i know which you know doesn't compare to people that have spent 30 40 years out there is they're doing a phenomenal job and even in our state i mean the muskie are doing exceptionally well now i think it's at a point where you know you can get it to the next step you could take it to where you're producing you know that upper echelon fish in a consistent level because they're you know seeing that they can sustain the fisher the fisheries we're getting big fish we're not getting a lot of numbers of big fish. Certain areas do, but as a whole, you know, I think a couple a couple things could really definitely get them to that point. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of other states, and I know there's a couple in particular that can say the same thing when it comes to, you know, that situation that a little bit of help on that then could give, you know, a good fishery to a phenomenal fishery. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of them states that can do it. I mean, we have a lot of fish. We have good fish. We have a lot of big fish, but we had a little bit of help on that side. I think we could have a lot of big fish.
Absolutely. <clears throat> Just making sure we're all still here. And um, are you are you a part of uh, the Muskies Inc. chapter? Uh, what is it, 63 or 64? It's, it's 64 on this end. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we actually got our tournament coming up here in a couple of months. Well, the Beast of the East, which is part of uh, goes into a stocking program for one of the legs called Kerbinsville. So yep. So awesome tournament. Dude, I've been I've been talking to like everybody about it. I don't get to go this year, <laughs> but I'm like I'm doing my best to hype it up. I'd I'd like for it to sell out. Um it sounded like get... there's gonna be a lot of teams this year. It's definitely getting a lot more feedback this year going in than I have heard in quite a do you, few. Do you years. think it's because we're we're post COVID now? Like actually really getting to that post COVID era? <laughs> You know, I don't, maybe, probably, who knows? I mean, last year was down a few teams, but it wasn't massive. But this year, it sounds like it's going to be all of them teams plus quite a few more. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Could be. Uh, I think there's this, I mean, there's this interest being drawn into predator fishing as well. I mean, it's always been there, but, like, you're seeing a lot more of it. I mean, via like the social media avenues and things of that nature, it's just, it's not blowing up by any means, but it's getting more popular. Oh, hundred percent. It's a adrenaline, you know, junkies, you know, dream right there. It seems to, you know, kind of fit a lot of the gear world starting to come over little by little to it. Anybody at the, you know, trout world, they start working their way up through and it's just, you keep going to, you know, it's, where, where do you stop with it? That's the thing. I mean, <laughs> every, every fish at some point you can get to eat a streamer and it's just the time of when to do it. And once you figure that out and you kind of move from one to the next thing, there's just, it's hard to not do it. <laughs> so I can see why, I can see why so many people would get addicted to it. I mean, that's like myself now it's, when I ran out of streamer opportunity, not that I don't want to do anything else, not that I won't. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going to tie flies and I'll duke it out till musky season comes now. You just kind of get ingrained. And I don't know whether it's from a gear background where you're used to swim baits and fish and stuff, you know, that's getting an aggressive strike. And you kind of just are always looking for whatever fish is going to do that, you know, get that aggressive eat. So, you know, the, the the numbers aren't there. You're not going to go out and put up, you know, 20 fish days, but, you know, for people looking for that avenue to get, you know, I know a lot of people that used to get into high adrenaline sports that wanted an avenue out. A lot of them got into fly fishing streamer wise because of that, you know, for that period of time you get it is, it's a pretty doggone good rush. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, it absolutely. It's <laughs> Well, to get a, get a fish that size to come up and hit so aggressively, uh, you know, that a lot of people, they think about catching the big fish. Well, these are the big fish, you know, they're, they're big, they're mean, they're aggressive. They got a lot of teeth and they just shred like hell. So why wouldn't you get a rush when you got one of those things to just come up and smash a, a stream or, you know, that that's, that's one of the beauties of it. And that's that whole tug is a drug addiction. Oh, my opinion, you could, keep the fight you can keep everything else give me that five seconds of the eat whether you see the eat or not 
that first five seconds, even when that thing gets tight and then you feel the tension, then you'll start seeing that like gas bends in the water, whether it's that or it's the mouth flare or the figure eight, just give me the eat and the rest is, you can keep it. I'm good. Give me that. <laughs> I'm good. Move on. Next fish. But yeah, it is. It's addicting. So you, we didn't really go in the who is Mark Burns so much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a weird start to the show. But now we sound yeah. a little, now little bit perfect. better. No, I think yeah. that's. I, I, think, I was kind of, I was a little off guard. I was like, wait. And then we kind of talked on conservation a little bit, but then I, my mind went about eight directions and nothing came one way. So that's like okay. you said, we didn't even give it five minutes. We just started right off the bat. Yeah, oh, dude, it doesn't matter. But uh, just to let let everyone kind of know, like, who are you? I mean, what is Urban Flyco? You've been a part of SBS Fishing for five years now. Like, t- tell us a little bit about yourself and how you tie in uh, where where you are today. I guess. Yeah, so I'm located in Western Pennsylvania. Everything kind of essentially started when I'm, you know, like. You said the podcast. I met up with the guys at SVS roughly in that five years ago range. And one thing led to another through there, and the opportunity for Urban Fly Company came up. And that's been, I said, next month will be four years with that now. So I started that direction going just tying for a couple of years and then putting the guiding side of things in was supposed to be right about now, which I'd actually started up about a year and a half ago. So it's been close to two years now I've been guiding. And podcast-wise is, you know, got to meet a lot of people in the industry that have provided a lot of help to get where I'm at right now. So for me to sit here to talk to you about this and do what I am, it's, you know, there's quite a few people that have helped me and a lot of good people that have got me to this point here now. And got to really meet them through there and build the relationships that have led to, you know, the tournaments and got to go down to Tennessee and do the tournament there, but got to meet a lot of good people. And now that's all transferred over to the guiding side of things. And a lot of these people that have reached out over the years in the podcast and, you know, talked to me about musky side and now they're coming up and I'm getting to take them fishing and, it's just it's a couple of full circle finally here after a while, little by little. Still got a long way to go with it, but um, overall, it's been it's been a fun ride. So, dude, you you tie a lot of really awesome flies, and I'm not just here to be like, oh yeah, no, you know, he's our guest, gas him up. No, dude, like <laughs> you you actually tie really good flies, and you can tell that. Thank you. Um, I've listened to a lot of y'all's episodes on the podcast, uh, like over a hundred now, right? and um, god bless you how'd you do that I, i'm a i'm a welder you made it through nice i'm a i'm a i'm a welder and i spent a lot of time under my hood with my headphones in nice so uh i just like hearing you guys bullshit but one of the things is that i've picked up through all this this timeline right is these little bits of pieces of knowledge of what you do to tie your flies and i've been able to apply a lot of that but what got you into tying flies? I guess there really wasn't any other thing than when I started fly fishing. It was just like, okay, I tie flies. And I started immediately as soon as I started fly fishing, I started tying flies. And the trout game only lasted a little bit because that's 
kind of the preconceived notion that everybody had you get into fly fish and it's all trout and i was like okay well then with a bass and then just progressed up from there so as each species i went into i just kept tying my own flies for it and when it got to musky i i dig by a handful kind of got ideas and you know concepts okay this is how they should be this is how they swim this way and then each fly that i've done is essentially to fill a void there's another one out there i just took it did what i needed to do with it in order to get what i needed out of it so i mean i have quite a different you know between bufords to minnow heads to different densities with the river and the lake heads to the dragon tails and there's you know, many varieties of what I have, but they all serve a purpose. So each one of them, different flies. I mean, I carry, I'm looking across my table now, there's 10 lines pulled up. I mean, not every fly is going to be for every line, but you can get different, you know, what you need by changing the lines and reacting with different flies. So a lot of it's just filling voids. Okay, here's where I am on a river. Here's where I am on the lake. I've been fishing all these different flies. I'm getting kind of what I want, but I'm missing. What do I need from here? And then I take the fly, okay, this is what it does, and keep tweaking it until I get it right where I need it to be. And then that's transferred in. So I mean, a lot of them, like I said, are other flies, and a lot of them are Bowen's flies, like the Buford, like the River Pig, but they're tied a little different. It's not that there was anything wrong with the original ones. They're great flies. That's why I was tying them, but these ones fit a little different. And like you've probably heard me talk about a lot, I tie top and bottom. I don't spin them around. So I get a little more of a vertical profile. That way I can work with the heads a little less so that I can get the fly to jackknife the way that I want a little quicker. So it's just, it all serves a little bit of a different purpose. So I, as, a, as a fly tire, I do have a question. So it looks like Guinea, but I don't know on a lot of your flies, is that to add a, to help with a routering motion whatsoever? Like on your no. okay, it's just purely that, looks, just purely <laughs> looks, okay, purely looks, yep, purely looks. That I've got a handful that have been ripped off from teeth, it makes no difference, <laughs> nope. none whatsoever. I mean, it may make a difference and help, you know, with the looks of the fly in the water or something of that nature, but I've always had them on my flies. I catch fish, I like the way that they look, and it just it kind of helps separate that head a little bit, like a gill plate being there. Something a little different to separate it. Yeah. yeah. But, mm, no. Rettering effect <laughs> and swim-wise, I mean, yeah, you could definitely see stuff out of, like, let's say, rooster and stiffer feathers. You will get that effect where you can get a fly and steer it based off of the feathers and the density of them and how you angle them out the back. That will have an effect in the swim of the fly, so you can and watch, you know, that situation, you know, pay attention on that, but. Well, Rad, dude. So you you start out trout, and then you just you, you keep moving down until now you're at musky. But you can't fish musky year round. So what are some of your other species that you like to target out there? Oh, definitely smallmouth. As soon as typically my end of things, I shut down right about when water temps get to like seventy five, and you could definitely go a little bit more. But it's kind of one of them things where it gives me a reason to finally stop. Because if not, I won't. I'll just keep fishing musky the whole year round. So it gives me a reason to stop and do, some, do something else and fish some other flies that I tie rather than just the musky ones. So typically it'll be smallmouth. 
oh, excuse me, off the bat, kind of messed with doing a little bit of night flathead. Didn't work at all, but that was kind of fun this year for a little bit. But um, smallmouth wise, that'll do a little bit of bowfin. Um, but mainly that's, that's really, I mean, pike or something that's always year round. So I'm always fishing for pike. Even when you know, I stop fishing for muskie, I, I still have other areas that I do a lot for pike. But other than that, mainly it goes to smallmouth to bowfin, but a lot of smallmouth. Dude, I just I just remembered something you said one time, and that was uh, piker like pants. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best thing, but the closest to it. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, 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 I love pike. They're so much fun. I love pike when they're supposed to be pike. I don't like pike when you're they're supposed to be a muskie. Then it just sucks. No. Because it's just, you know, you get to the boat. And no matter even how good it is, even if it's a really good pike, you still like, oh, I wish I was a muskie. But when you're actually <laughs> fishing for pike, yeah, they're the best. <laughs> so when you get out of that that ideal water temperature range and you're no longer targeting uh, smallmouth or muskie or bowfin or pike, let's say, uh, do you go after any of like the fall or winter fisheries in your area? Do you, do you try to get back out and hit any trout? Do you go over and try to get any uh, lake run steelhead or anything like that? Well, come fall and winter, that's prime muskie time for me. Okay. Uh, starting usually typically second to third week of September, pretty much until it freezes. Um, last year, this past year, we were able to get to about the first week of January and then we were kind of shut down for about two months. The year before we fished the whole way through. So it really is only that pretty much like second week of June to second week of September. Yeah, I need to force myself more to do trout, you know, streamer wise, because it is fun and I don't do it nearly enough. I did a, a bit, but it's been well way too long. So I do need to force myself off that a little bit, maybe do a couple steelhead trips here and there, but yeah, it's easier said than done. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, out, I'm out there fishing for trout and catching trout. I'm like, well, if I'm catching trout, the muskie would be good right now. I should have been out fishing for muskie. Yeah. It just, that, it, that's always... It, 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 it never ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we have a, a phase in the spring, the summer that we call the in-betweener time where we have uh, spring Chinook and we have steelhead that come in. And so your chances of hooking on either are, are equally as good. And, but we're always going for the spring Chinook, even though the summer steelhead are like, they're, they're on par yeah. with like <laughs> the meat quality. Cause we're out there fishing to eat them. Right. Uh, we're not just necessarily CNR in these fish. We're, we're going to whack them and take them home to eat. But, um, so, so they're on par, it's kind of a gamble, but then you get into the summer and the fish have been in the river a little bit. They're starting to get a little bit, you know, zombie, not super bad, but zombied. And so you're like, ah, I'm going to go fish for bass. And then you'll have somebody text you. They're like, Hey, look at this springer. I just picked up It's dime bright. And you're like, I should have went springer fishing. I shouldn't have been out here going after smallmouth. <laughs> yeah. I should have been out floating eggs or doing something else. But no, I hear you on that. I, uh, it, it's always one of those things like you find your species and that's what you want to stick to. Yeah. Who was it? Someone on a podcast that we had, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue who it was. Um, the guy just left the meat eater. Oh, uh, Cal. 
No, no not Cal. The, the oh. dude from he used to from, be on the field, trade. from the film stream and the um. Oh gosh. Oh um, god, dude. Yeah, I just drew a complete blank. Yeah, dude. He was. Listeners are gonna be screaming right now. Yeah, dude. He well, we we have like we have like fifteen people that listen, and one of them is my mama. So, but it's like he he was on the Drake, and then he went to Field Stream, and he did like that. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the dude that like shot the lock out of the car. (laughs) Probably, (laughs) but he. It was funny because we were having like a back and forth on Muskie and he's like, Piker Bear. He's like, I don't know. Everybody makes this big thing. He's like, what is it with Muskie? I was like, you know what? I said, it is the only fish that I have ever fished for that, you know, gives me a satisfaction that I don't have to justify to anybody. I, you know, when I go out there, I, at the end of the day, whether I catch a fish, I didn't catch a fish in my mind. Um, always gonna catch a fish when i go out there and you can go for a month you can go for a week and not even see a fish but every trip i'm always going to get a fish every cast and so it's the only fish that i can i don't have to justify why i you know i could go that period of time and not see a fish and i'm still that addicted to it i don't know what it is it's just the only fish that's ever done it to me then you catch one and you realize why you did it and then you spend two months just beating your head off of a wall but yet every day you wake up and next thing you want to do is you want to go musky fish it's just it does something to you inside that you just you don't quit until you last second you're like all right i'm done now i'm sick of this i'm ready for something else (laughs) so for let's say someone getting into musky fishing how how do you keep that motivation How, how do you keep that drive um it sounds like it's it's a natural it sounds like it's natural for you but i don't know you're you're around a lot of these guys like how how do you do it i mean and as a guide i'm gonna throw another question in on that is as a guide if you don't even move a fish that day what do you do well i guess a couple i start with the first part of that question the motivation side of things are really, I mean, you can teach it, you could preach and try to do anything. It really comes down to the person. Some people love it. Some people don't. I've got to fish with a lot of people and take a lot out that, you know, just, you could tell within the first hour that they're into this and they're just, they're gung-ho, they're excited. They're just, they're constant. They're just, they're ready. There's a lot of other people you take out and it's like, okay, I, I want to catch this fish and get this over with. It's fun. It's cool. I wouldn't mind doing it here and there, but it's just, it's not quite my thing. Whether it's a little too cumbersome because you're casting big flies and big rods all day, or it's just different water than you're used to. Uh, it's, it really all comes down to the person. But on the, I guess on the guiding side of things, not seeing fish is, you know, it, it yeah, it is part of muskie. It's a tough part of muskie that, you know, where we're all kind of, you know, accept. And it's my job to really go out there that day and provide as much as I can to make sure that that person is a learning so that they're going to be taking something back to their fishery that they can use to help themselves catch fish. But if I'm doing that and they're constantly into it, no matter what, you're going to have that just thought that muskie can be there at any point. The day's going to end. The day's going to end without a fish. You know, it's just that, that it, you can only do so much and you could work as hard as you can. So the best thing I could do is 
change as much as we can through a day to try to adapt to every situation we can. Treat each scenario, you know, like there's a fish sitting there. Change our flies, change our depth, change our cadence, change, you know, jigging to swimming to dig, you know, the different ways. Just do everything we can to make sure and look at every avenue. Once we've expended all that, you know, it's all you can do, really. And it, it's just, you know, it's a weird way to say it, but that's really what you can do. I mean, that's, that's my job is that I try to make sure that I expend every avenue and teach you everything I can to put a fly in front of that fish where it could be ambushing in that scenario and hope for the best. Usually we see them. Most of the time anymore we do, but there's still some days where they never they don't play. So how, my thoughts then, so I was a, I was a walkway guide in Arkansas and uh, lunch was like not the best because it's just in my bag <laughs> you know it's not like oh let's go let's go sit up here on this dude's property and you know <laughs> set up this camp stove but for you I would imagine that lunch is pretty crucial for keeping morale up some days food is huge for musky fishing food and and just time <laughs> as much as weird as that sounds because you want to be keeping a fly in the water as much as you can too, but you also want to keep yourself focused. And that's the biggest thing with, I think with musky fishing is being ready all the time. I love shore lunches. Every day I guide, I cook a shore lunch. So whether it's, you know, burgers, sausage, pulled pork, soup, what have you, there's a shore lunch every day, especially because most of the time through that time of the year, it's, it's usually pretty cold. So a nice hot meal, you know, A, just gives you a ton of energy and you're ready to go. But you really need that energy, too. When you're casting the flies, you're wearing yourself out. So you usually always keep snacks on the boat through the day, too. So, you know, you eat breakfast, you're snacking through, you eat a good lunch, you keep on snacking. If you want a full day, we're going to go dark to dark. I mean, that's just, that's, I'm perfectly fine with that. Let's roll. But I think it's crucial to make sure that you do eat enough through the day. And also, you know, if you're getting a little bit tired, take 10, take 15, don't push it. Because if that, you know, they eat and they, if you see fish at the worst opportune times you can imagine, it's like, you'd almost know that they're reading your mind. Like, okay, I'm not paying attention. I'm dozing off right now. Or I'm kind of, you know, looking up at the stars. Let's eat at the boat while I'm pulling a fly up out of the water. It happens quite a bit. Unfortunately, so it happens a lot. <laughs> So it's like, if you start losing it a little bit, just take the 10, take the 15 minutes, take your break, breathe, get your mind right, go at it. And I think that's, that's crucial in the day because you do, I've, I've missed a lot myself. I've seen clients miss a lot. I've seen a lot of people miss a lot. Just you lose focus. You're looking at the back of the boat talking and the fish eats. Yeah. Well, I went on, I, I've went musky fishing once. We don't have them in our neck of the woods. Well, we do, but they're a long ways away. So it's not like you can go target them consistently, but I did go uh, in Wisconsin and we were out there for 12 hours and we were running conventional tackle. We weren't even like, you know, throwing um, flies. And it was like, we stopped by the, the quick stop which is like their, their whole little like seven 11 thing there. We stopped by the quick stop and we picked up like a couple jugs of Gatorade and we got cheese curds and we got a bunch of meat sticks and everything else. And 
like we're cruising, uh, like eating meat sticks and throwing, you know, uh, throwing baits out there and working those. And we got two fish in 12 hours. And that's what you, you really have to, I mean, sometimes it's none. And we were lucky enough that we actually managed a good to get day. a couple of fish. Yeah, that's a really good day. I mean, that was like, yeah, damn, that's a you know, and, and we're talking like 46, 48 inch musky. That's what we ended up with. So they weren't small. They weren't babies. They weren't like that trophy size, but they were good size. And, uh, you know, but man, if you don't, if you don't take the goodies out there on the boat with you, like, you know, you, you got to have the good food and all that stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, just sometimes just stop casting for a second and like, cause you're casting and casting and casting and people don't understand like how much casting you do. It is nonstop all the time. I love it. I, I thought a it was lot. like, the, yeah, I, I thought it was awesome, but yeah, you're like casting the every log, every square inch of every piece of bank and every structure, everything, because that fish may ignore it here and then pick it off here. And it says that that's the cool part of musky, in my opinion, it's like, they're just, they're such a puzzle mm -hmm. of a fish to figure out. Cheese wise, hickory smoked cheddar has been my go-to lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. No, I've seen a fish where you've literally thrown the same cast three, four, five times in the same spot. And then the sixth time, all of a sudden you'll appear. What it is, who, God, I'd love to know. But so they're goofy. I've got a question now. So what are, what are some of the bite triggers? Like what are, well, why are we throwing 10 inch, 12 inch flies for not all the time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot of folks have been saying here recently, I've been saying downsized or, um, I mean, shit. One of my friends in Wisconsin, uh, he literally, he's like, dude, I had two follows today on a smallmouth fly. So I'm going to be throwing, uh i'm gonna be throwing some like seven inch uh smallmouth flies beefed up on my 12 weight 100 <laughs> percent. i'm going i'm going tomorrow and i'm taking a box of five inch smallmouth flies with me. it's just there's a time and a place for everything and it all depends on time of the year just like even with a fly there's a lot of times of the year where the flies you know i think an advantage and there's a lot of times of the year where the flies a disadvantage and when speed is needed that's definitely one of the disadvantages but I think some triggers, um, and like for starting like now, small wise, I think a lot of that has to do too with you're dealing with these fish that are warm, so their metabolism's up. They're eating a lot more. They're eating a lot, you know, they're going to eat a bag of potato chips in between a big meal. There's your four or five inch fish all day long. I mean, even a 25, 28 inch fish, a 12 inch fly isn't nothing for them. I mean, it might seem like it, but I mean, a couple weeks ago, I caught a pike in the low 20s on a nine-inch fly, and the fly was gone. You couldn't see nothing with its mouth closed. So I mean, it's you think it's a lot bigger than it really is, but to them, it's only you can ever go too big. Personally, I do prefer, you know, deeper winter. Right when it's starting to get to that 39 down to 35 is when I personally start looking at the huge flies. I'm going 12 inch and above. Rest of the time, I, I really like that seven to nine inch range. It seems to be fitting for almost every waterway, any time of the year. You can adjust your speed and then like you're asking about, you know, your trigger points. So let's say um, you're using like a beaver. That fly, your trigger point is going to be your broadside glide to glide action. Now you take a river pick. You could do multiple things with that. 
You can throw it on a sink line, use it deep in the winter and jig them on the bottom. So your jigging action there could be a trigger point to pull them in. You can throw it on an intermediate line and rip it fast. When you're doing that, every time them jig eyes go down, they're gonna fall a different direction and that fly is just gonna dart and dive. So you're getting more of an erratic action. So all of these different flies are gonna serve a different kind of trigger to that. And that's kind of where I was saying what's going through the day and kind of figuring out the depth and you know where them fish are and where they're trying to eat at. It's also figuring out what's going to trigger them at this. Every day is a little bit different, but certain times of the year they'll kind of hone in on one way for you know you'll get a you'll get a good window on it for a while, but it, you know, every day can be different too. One moon phase will have them going ball, you know balls to the wall. They're chasing things like crazy. You get a good warm up could change things up a little bit. That's why you just kind of keep changing it through the day. But each one of them flies is going to have its kind of own trigger mechanism in it. It's, it's made for for that time. You know, like the dragon tails. That has been something that's been, we've incorporated the last couple of years that has been a phenomenal trigger mechanism. You'll have some fish that you get to fall or you'll see a bit. You'll get that flutter of a holographic tail and you'll get a commitment out. So it's, it's almost at a point where I'm fishing them, you know, 70% of the time and feathers 30 now where it was the other way around before you just, you know, it seems like certain, you know, it helps get that commitment from them. So what do you think about the discs? I've never used one of, you mean like the water pushing discs? Yeah. I never have. Um, I don't know. I don't see like it's quite the purpose for it, by, by opinion. <laughs> I mean, with a Buford head stacked in there, does it, is it really going to add that much more to it or, I don't know. I've never I, used them. I've, I've never used them. Either. I was I was curious. I mean, I know they're they're flashy as all hell, but does it add that much more? It's a good question. I can't answer that one. I I don't I don't think that they would enough to constitute switch it over or try. But well, I'm about to have to go throw some in the swimming pool. And find out see what they do yeah let me know i'm curious because yeah i've, I've yet to try one yet to try one yet. <laughs> tell you what though if you stack a few of them they probably make a good popper oh yeah <laughs> that's, that's what i was just gonna pipe in with is like you know uh when you're talking about like bait fish mimicking streamers and things like that um i, I don't know i'm a top water like junky uh anything that i can get to pop and erupt on the surface just that that gets me off i don't know what it is about it but like i i, I guess it's just seeing the boil and everything go underwater and then the line tension and everything else do you find that you're more successful with your bait fish mimicking streamers with muskie uh or are you more successful in general and i know this is a a, a season temperature dependent you know, uh, there's a lot of different things. Do you find that you're more successful with your top water or with, with more of like your bait fish type, you know, streamers? Well, uh, I do not fish enough top water. So I mean, that one there is going to be an easy one for me. I have the same, like the same thing that you stated about top water is the same way I am with that streamer bite. Like I was saying, with that that first eat or seeing that or that hook up and that fish just out there s bending, I throw top water for about five minutes and I always pull it off. So <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a good one to ask on top water just because I've I've never been one to spend enough time to hone it. As soon as I put it on, I'm like, no, nope, going right back the other way. 
So it's definitely, definitely the bait fish for me. hundred percent. I think it's, you know, on the top water, right. For, and, and like I said, everybody's got their thing that, that, that gets them going, but with the top water, when, when you get it next to the boat and, and that thing comes up and just scares the piss out of you, I guess, I guess that's just kind of like, Ooh, there's a fish there. You know, you kind of like yeah. <laughs> that thing just came out of nowhere and you just see jaws go wham like that. You know, and that's, there, there's just something about that. Like I said, with the muskie, you know, they're right about sunset or something else, you know, right, right. When the sun's starting to get on the edge of the trees and you just, all you see is the white in the teeth and just, boom, you know, like the Leviathan. It's like, Oh my God, that's so cool. But I can respect the, the stream. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something about that. You know, you're, you're like in a big grass bed out in the middle of this river and, and you're just running across and then it's just a fucking eruption. It's awesome. I love it. No, I can hundred I hundred percent get it. I do. And I, yeah. I don't know what it is. Cause I, but I, I can, so I, people that, I mean, I they can do throw top water a lot. Yeah. And I can say unequivocally, like, you know, the streamer thing or, or submerged baits or something. Yeah. They do attack that aggressively. Bass do it too. You throw, cool. you know, you throw something that's submerged for bass and they just, you know, I mean, they're so insane. They just gobble it, you know, like you throw a fluke on a drop shot, boom, you know, that's one of those grabs. Like as soon as it hits the bottom, <laughs> they grab it and it goes ballistic, you know? So it is pretty cool. You know, you, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. And it, there's just something about that grab that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that though. Yeah, no doubt. So what are, you tying, what are you tying up over there, John? Dude, actually, Ryan uh, Ryan Evans sent me some stuff, dude, and I was just looking down at it, and my curiosity got the best of me, and I opened it up. And nice. uh, he sent me a spinner that I'm going to send to Brian that's super dope, but he sent me some beads, right? Because we were talking about pegging beads for steelhead. Because we're, mm, nice. we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. We're not catching <laughs> And, uh, ah, here we go. Dude. So, but this is perfect because I was going to ask you, you going to beat Ryan this year? Better. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, last year was, a, oh, that was a dagger. I missed a couple, <laughs> I missed a couple fish that would have, would have finished that in last second, 13 pulls out fish. And I'm like, good. Good, good. We deserve that because I screwed that up. But next year we're coming back for it. Yeah, <laughs> that would hurt. We better, but no, they got us on that one. What's your What's your team name this year? Uh, we're same as last year, Urban Fly Cartel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, oh, it's two months away now. We're like literally. The whole day has been nothing but like three different threads of group chats all talking about the beast already. So it's <laughs> it, it's one of them deals. It'll be it'll be a hell of a good time. Hell yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, so, but yeah, we better beat them this year. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got I've got one more question. Um because I think we're coming up on time here pretty soon. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I know this is this is just like how we started off. It could go absolutely ballistic in a bunch of different directions, but does your leader composition change based off of the line you are using? Um, no, not off of the, well, yes and no. 
Yes, it does, but, but the lines also because of the scenario I'm trying to work. So I guess really to, to make it easy, I only use a couple different leaders. Um, my mainstay is I use 40 pound Maxima to 40 pound wire. If I'm throwing big, big giant stuff in deep winter, I'm usually using 65 pound wire. And I run a number three fast hatch on everything. Now, there's certain scenarios where if I'm running river pigs and I want a certain action out of them, or if I'm trying to jig them deep, or if I'm fishing top water and I'm running them, all three are using floating or an intermediate line, I'll vary my leaders there. Sometimes I will take out the wire if it's really clear or if they're being picky, but I'll vary depth to try to get the fly to where I want. So I guess that's kind of where it's a little bit of both. Yeah, it would be as a line, but it's also kind of to get to a depth. But other than that, I really stick. Now, if I'm doing just a straight, then I usually bump to 50 pounds floor or 60 pound floor. But that's usually only if it's super clear and they can they can see me very well. And that's over wire, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, but 99% of the time I'm running about three foot of three foot of 40 pound uh, ultra green to 40 pound wire about 18 inch. So yep. loop to loop on all. Okay. So are you running like um like coated wire, like intruder wire, or are you running bite wire? Mm. Trying to think of what it's called. The AF uh, seven by seven strand, the okay. AFW, not nylon coated. Yeah. Yeah. Coated. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. Went blank there, but yeah, that one has been. I love that. That's what I use on my connection for my uh, all my doubles too. Sixty-five pound wire. Okay. Yep. Yep. That nylon coated's been phenomenal. Yeah, usually uh, I double up forty on my doubles. Yeah, that'll hold up well. Absolutely. That's what I think. I mean, I just, as long as it's not the titanium, you know, the titanium is great for at dragon tails and stuff like that, but that's the only one I've ever seen issues with over time that them will snap. Um, but standard seven by sevens hold up you know, super well. Mark, dude, I think, I think we are up on our time, but holy shit. There. Yeah, like this has been awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, like appreciate you guys having me. It's been a good time. Yeah, dude. Mark, so where can everybody find you at, dude? So if they want to get a hold of you, they want to get some of your flies. Um, I guess real quick, what are, what are some of the distributors that have your flies as well as yourself? So urbanflycompany.com. That's gonna be my website. You're gonna find all the flies guiding. Um, Everything there color-wise is going to be all available. I typically am running about a two to three week lead time. So it's give or take usually year-round, staying pretty close to that. And I'm always taking orders there. Um, Shop-wise, Musky Fool and Izoko are going to be the main ones out of the United States and Canada that you can also find flies online with. In store-wise, uh, got it. Your buddy uh, Brian, Queen City guy from last show. He's got flies there. Uh, the native shop in West Virginia has a little bit of flies. They have a local shop in Shanna Creek. They've got some flies. I know I'm missing a couple. Um, 
Fly Martin Canada, Scott, he keeps flies up there. I'm still missing a few. I'm sorry for the guys I'm forgetting out there, but I've got 10 or 12 shops that they're into. But yeah, mainly, like I said, the Urban Fly Company, uh, same as Instagram, Facebook, so all the social media is Urban Fly Company. Right on. Yeah, and we'll make sure that we put all that in the show notes too so that uh, everybody can get a hold of Mark uh, and, and you guys know where to find him at. So, Mark, thank you so much for taking some time this evening to come on with us. We really appreciate it. And it's always fun to talk to somebody, uh, especially musky. Uh, I think I think any of us anglers are just like, if, if you can get on musky, you got to get on them. No, my pleasure. I appreciate you guys taking the time. And yeah, if you're ever out in Western Pennsylvania and want to, I'd be more than happy to show you around. Be a blast. No, yeah, dude. I'll probably see oh, you yeah. next year at the Beast. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Keep me posted on that one. All right, right dude. On. Yeah. Right on. All right. Thanks so, again, guys. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. And for everybody out there, make sure you do go check out Mark. And uh, like I said, in the show notes, we're going to put his information in there. Now, if you're looking to get a hold of us, you can always email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the Go Wild app. Uh, something happened with t TikTok. It kind of self imploded. So no more TikTok, but you can still see our cool videos on Instagram and on uh, YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So uh, John, you want to roll the, the uh, sponsors one more time for everybody? Yeah. Uh, as always, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Mark, thanks again for coming on in this episode. This is brought to you by Troutlander Nets, Maxon Outfitters, Lidrig, Angaroos to Fly Company, and Morris Flyco. And just everybody, thanks so much for listening, and we appreciate all the support. Go check out our sponsors. They got some really good deals for you guys. And um, it'll, I don't know, just help everybody out. So we appreciate it. And y'all take care. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys all have a wonderful day.